Welcome to the Grolix Podcast. This is Randy. This is Jesse. In the future, mascots will be the first job to be replaced with androids. So when the robot uprising occurs, get ready to bow down to your robot overlords in the guise of the planters, Mr. Peanut, and MetLife's Snoopy. In the future... Oh, jeez. <laughs> in the future... Schools will adopt what is called the Marvel method of arithmetic. Zero is no longer means nothing. It is, in fact, one of something. Point, point, point now is now. Um, <laughs> point now. <laughs> in the future, humanity's biggest struggle won't come from humanity itself. It will come from me. This is bad. <laughs> God, I butchered that so bad. Maybe I'll just record it again <laughs> later. Cause I don't want to get hung up on this. This is awful. This is my, this is my doing. What did I do? <laughs> You're getting close. I can feel it. Not a good way to start a show. <laughs> okay. I got one. In the future, roving bands of comic book podcasts will savage the wasteland, once known as the internet. One podcast, the Grolux Podcast, may not be the biggest, may not be the funniest, may not be the most well-spoken. Wait, what was my point again? Today we have, we're going to talk about some web comics. We're going to do the Real Swamp Studies Part 1. Uh, we kind of reformatted that segment, so we're going to kind of gloss over a little bit of what we talked about in the first episode of the show. Um, and then we're also going to do Poll List, which was Mouse. And at that time we will pick the next Poll List title that we'll talk about next month. Nice. Have we had a lot of responses on the old pologram? No. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have not. Um, let me pull it up real quick. Not as many as I would hope. In fact, I think uh, we got more, like when I'd post the tweets and it would get retweeted, I think we got more retweets than we actually got votes, which is odd. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm not going to complain about that. Any response is good response. It's true. So, there so were listeners get get out there and pull a graph and pull a tron and pull a web. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did get a few votes on there, uh, and actually, I don't know that. Like I told Melanie, she should hop on and give it a vote. I think it'd be all right if we threw our votes in there too. But we got a few. Um, yeah, we're people too. We're people too. We count. I mean, we're the ones going to be reading it. Yeah. Ha hashtag self-slam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I self-slammed myself at the beginning of this episode with this <laughs> insane future predictions conceit. I, I can't believe I stuttered on that one. <laughs> um, anything new with you? Um, oh, since free comic book day is coming up before we have another episode, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Cause I know you're, you're going to be out and about doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You said you're in. 
<laughs> or something like urine gonna urine gonna be <laughs> Did I? brought me back to no, I don't know. I heard urine. <laughs> and it brought me back to the future prediction. The future yes. prediction. Uh, they with the cat urine. It really get, did go dark. Yeah. But that's Sorry. when I think of when I think of cats with wings, and like I said in Japan there were some mutated cats that had wings um that were not operational. That's the first first thing I think of is like, you know, you might get a little bird poo on you and that's gross. But think about what a cat could do to you from the sky. That is a nightmare. Oh, Tom's. Tom's. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up on a farm. That's some badness. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. So, free comic book day. That's coming up. uh, Was it May 3rd, I believe? Uh, Yeah, I believe so. May, yep, May 3rd, the Saturday after... um, the next as of this recording good Good. that means i'll be there on the right day (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah my friend uh axton kaler who does uh zombieoakscomic.com uh he does his web comic uh we're gonna go ahead and uh have a artist table at uh krypton comics in omaha and we're gonna be doing artwork and things associated with free comic book day and they're also going to have, uh, I believe it's Ron Glass. Yes. From Serenity. What, is he in Serenity? He's in Firefly for sure. He was in I Serenity. Believe. He wasn't, he didn't have a huge part. Like he was, his character wasn't in it too much, but he was in the movie a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's right. He was in it and he had a pretty huge part, but he didn't have a lot of screen time. Yeah, exactly. That's a better way That's to put it. Yeah, so he'll be there signing autographs, and there will be, like, a boatload of local artists um, that you, so, you know, check it out. And, and hey, you know, I guess there's free comics, too. Free comics. From what I, from what I hear. There. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the one downside to uh, doing that kind of a thing and being behind the table is, you know, there's all these free comics, and you just forget they're there because you gotta draw, dance oh. monkey, dance. <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs> or draw tank monkeys. <laughs> 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 you gotta make the tank monkey dance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the big thing that's kind of coming up for me. That's awesome. I actually I thought it was a week sooner than it was. We still have a little bit of time on that, don't we? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, which is which is good because I've been trying to bust out some things that are a little more kid friendly. You know, it's pretty easy to just draw the things you like to draw, but uh, you know, there will be a lot of kids there for free comic book day, and I want to draw what they want. And I I don't know what kids want anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say because you know we might we're we're getting up there a little bit. We're we're not not necessarily as a tied into the trends that the youth are into now. I think the most relevant thing that I've drawn recently was uh, Adventure Time characters and some um, uh, regular show guys. But today, I had a, a kindergartner that I see in a over my planning period, kind of like a reward for him, and he wanted to do Skylanders dragons. I'd seen these things like in Walmart, I have I have no idea what they are. I know it's a game. I know that there's little collectible figures. It strikes me as like 
Viking meets Pokemon, but I have no idea what it's about. But yeah, and somehow, somehow I had to come up with a project based on that. Hmm. So I'm not familiar with that at all. No, no, I wasn't either. I was like, oh, I've seen that on a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hip. <laughs> Adventure Time and stuff. I, I'm down with that. I like that. There's certain ones that I I enjoy, but yeah, there's like a whole market of them that, that I'm totally unfamiliar with. Well, yeah, like uh, it seems like Cartoon Network used to do an awful lot with Hanna Barbera, and and then they totally switched gears on me, and now I'm not as with the new the new uh, animated series that come out. Adventure Time I like, and, and Regular Show I like, because Regular Show, I, I can remember being those guys. <laughs> That's like my college years. Oh, and Adventure yeah. Time is just awesome, because who doesn't want to go to fight monsters with this, with their dog? That's just a good time. And Finn the Human. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. I love that they put it that way in the song. Uh, kind of related, uh, a little bit of a side. Not necessarily as kid-friendly, but have you ever watched Bravest Warriors? Uh-uh. Oh, man. Check, look it up on YouTube. I believe... Oh, you were telling me about this, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe it's by the same creators. It's most definitely a very similar, like, art style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I, I it might be, actually. I, I think I remember um, those folks putting together some kind of a Kickstarter or something. Yeah, I believe it might have had a short run on Cartoon Network or something, and then... A couple years later, uh, they kind of resurrected it for YouTube. And like I said, it's not, it's not totally kid on friendly, but it's much more adult. There's a couple cuss words and some, uh, adult, c- uh, content, uh, in it once in a while. But, um, it is a great show. It's one of my favorite YouTube series, I think. There's a couple, like, animated YouTube series that are really killer, but that's one of the best ones for sure. Nice. I just had to throw like, uh, that out there. That made me think of how it should have ended, which is another great animated one. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which is a terrible segue. But uh, have you seen Captain America two yet? Oh no, I have not. I think I'm the only comic book podcast host uh, in the world that hasn't watched that yet. <laughs> it, it it keeps, uh, and it's going to be totally worth it when you do. I'm ex- just. Uh, do not watch Agents of Shield until you get caught up. Oh, I know. Um, I started watching the I like I I hadn't jumped onto that till fairly recently, so I'm still back on like episode three or four. I plan to watch up to pretty close to when I know um, there's a change. I know I don't know specifics, but I know there's a big change in the show because of the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at a certain point, I'll stop and make sure to watch the movie. But um, it, I'm curious. Has it been totally spoiled for you yet? Because there's like not memes and not, everything. Not totally spoiled yet. Um, I think there's probably a few little things, and there's like a, a, some little things where I keep hearing the same thing over and over. And I'm sure once I see it in the movie, it'll make sense. Right now, it doesn't really make sense. And it might it might take a little of the enjoyment out of it, but so far I haven't been totally spoiled on it yet. But I've had to I've had to I mentioned the podcast thing because I listen to a lot of other comic book podcasts, and I've had to avoid a bunch of them because that movie came out, and all of them 
all of them covered oh, yeah. Captain America 2. So I'm like, yeah, I'll skip that, skip that episode, I guess. They even mentioned it on like a Doctor Who podcast that I've been listening to. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man. So I knew I needed to get out and, and see the, uh, the movie also because we were right at that point on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I, I was like, uh, eh, before I watch this next episode, I better watch that movie. And I'm glad because they do pretty much tell you the end of the movie. I mean, they don't give you, they don't like ruin the movie or anything, but they pretty much tell you the resolution. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just like yeah, an okay. offhanded comment, like, oh, Captain America, da 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 da. I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I saw that first. Yeah, and they they aired it like pretty much the week the movie was released, right? I'm surprised yeah. they didn't it was give like, it a little bit. Like, right after the opening weekend, they had that episode, like on a Monday or Tuesday or something. Yeah, I'm a little surprised they didn't give it maybe a week buffer or something. Yeah. But I'm still behind. I still haven't seen the second Thor movie. That one was pretty good, too. I keep hearing good things, but I was really not a fan of the first one at all. It was, yeah, the first one's tough. It just felt, it kind of felt like... It felt the weakest of the Marvel movies that I've seen that, you know, are part of the current Marvel movie continuity. Um, I think phase one in general um, got off to a rockier start. Then we hit Avengers and everything just kind of took a leap into... Well, that's good. And it kind of seems like maybe... I think Avengers perhaps kind of set the tone and kind of... Yeah. the, The momentum picked up. Like, you know, that was the bottom of the swing, and now they know where they're headed or some such thing. Yeah, because I didn't, you know, like, I I love Captain America, uh, so watching this new movie was, like, I don't know, it was head and shoulders for me better than the first one. And the first one had all the really classic characters in it, you know. The first one, the first Mm -hmm. Captain America had uh, Red Skull, uh, had the origin, but, you know, like, I don't know, origin movies, they just kind of slow things down. Oh, yeah. Whereas oh, that's a good... this was all Cap. This was Cap being Cap, and he was in the modern world, and you know, you didn't have to explain anything. You could just get right down into it, and there were, yeah, I mean, there's a few things you needed. You needed to see the first movie, but, you know, like, let loose, the sh- you know, you're unshackled all of a sudden. Now you can tell a story. That's a good point with the... Uh... For, with the second second phase is they don't have to worry about the the origin issues anymore. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like same thing with Thor. You don't have to spend so much time, you know, explaining what's going on. You don't have to show them hopping between worlds to, uh, you know, for everybody to know. Oh, there's these other worlds exist, and we'll just uh, we'll just roll with it now. I did enjoy the first Captain America, and I didn't really, I didn't necessarily expect to enjoy it as much as I did. But I like the first Captain America quite a bit. Yeah, and I've heard nothing but good things about the second one. I'm excited to see it. Part of it is Mel Melanie is not interested at all. Oh, <laughs> so I, I'll have to either find somebody else to do it or or go solo, which I actually don't mind doing. I kind of enjoy going solo to the movies. Sure. Um. Unexpected Marvel movie discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometime 
sometime, maybe, maybe around the time, you know, uh, in a few years when the second Man of Steel comes out, we'll have to have kind of a Man of Steel discussion because I still want to talk about that. <laughs> the uh, the first one? Yeah, or? yeah. Oh, oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> because that is not a very popular movie. Um, yeah. And I actually, I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, and we've, we've kind of, we've kind of hit this topic in, in other podcasts before. Yeah. My rage has softened dramatically, but yeah, I still have some pretty, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm firmly in that, uh, camp. You and like everyone else, <laughs> everyone else. In fact, that's kind of an old, it's, it's a dead horse to, to, to kick. But, um, yeah, I will say I, when the Dark Knight Rises came out, I went and seen it in the theater once and mm-hmm. I have not rewatched it since. Right. What surprised me is given that knowledge, when Man of Steel came out, I went to the theater twice and seen it alone both times huh. and then bought the Blu-ray the day it came out and watched it again and made Melanie watch it. Wow, and you're not really a soups guy, are you? No, I'm totally a Batman guy. I I was never a big <laughs> Superman fan. I don't I don't know what it what it what it is. I I don't really know why it appeals so much to me. Um I did, however, after I went and seen it in the theater, I went and rewatched over, I don't know, a couple weeks all the original um seventies Superman movies. So that was a lot oh, of fun. Man. Yeah. You were committed. Put me on a big Superman kick, but um. <laughs> anyway, we can move off of that. Uh, <laughs> I kind of I don't really have anything new, any new news or anything interesting to talk about. So, you want to talk about some web comics real quick? Let's do it. Yeah, web comics. Boom boom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any like. <laughs> I don't have any Segway music prepared yet, so... That is it. That right there is now the Segway music. Web comics! <laughs> Just can that. Can that. <laughs> Put some effects on it. Zoom, boom. <laughs> Talking about web comics. Uh, all right. Um, I thought we both could pick one, because there's, there's a ton out there. But we both could kind of just pick one to, to recommend to people, and do you want to go first on this one? Um, yeah, I'll start. Uh, the one that I'm checking out right now is rationriot.com, and this one was a recommendation to me from uh, Axton Kaler. I'm just going to keep name-dropping him today. Name-dropping. <laughs> name-dropping. So he told me that I need to check this one out, and he's absolutely right because it's right up my alley. Um, it's done by uh, Dan Merrick. And it, he's kind of rebooted his own webcomic, I guess. Uh, I don't know if the original still exists online. So all I've read is the one that he currently has up at rationriot.com. And it's, uh, it's, it's a fun little series. Uh, it's only on page 20 right now of the first chapter. So it's a really easy read and a really good quick jump on point for anyone that wants to jump in. There's not like an enormous archive dive in order to, to read the whole thing. And it's in a pretty, um, what would you say? Um, it would be a long form comic. It's continuous storyline. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, it's 
the characters are all food. They're all like anthropomorphic food items. And it starts out in this bar. And, and I guess the feel that I get from it, like right off the bat, kind of the art style and everything, it reminds me a lot of the tick because you've got all these food items in the city. Uh, you know, like when he does his exposition and, and, and mentions like the city and, and all that, like the meanwhile in the city kind of stuff mm-hmm. that all just really feels like and is reminiscent of the tick. Um, but it's also got like a little bit of Akira like manga kind of or manga or however you say that it's got a little bit of that kind of element in the, in the artwork. Um, so I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, the, the food characters, the good guys are all kind of like whole foods. So like the bartender is broccoli and, and it kind of, it kind of opens the whole story opens in this bar called the egg beater. And uh, so there's all sorts of eggs and stuff in there. So these are kind of like the average Joe people or what you'd, you'd consider the good guys. And then these, these like processed foods, like, so these French fries come in. So the junk food, they come in and they're like trying to shake down the, the bar, you know, like the, the uh, bartender and whatnot. And so it starts out with, so these, these fries are the bad guys. So your processed food, your junk food, your fast food, they're bad. Whole food's good. And it's just laced with good food puns. So, I mean, it was right up my alley. Yeah. And uh, there's different, like like I mentioned Akira, so I'm going to jump back to that. Um, the, they start this action sequence with battles and everything. And these fries, they supersize. So... <laughs> So uh, when they supersize, they go all like mutiny. I don't know if you've ever seen Akira, but uh-huh. like when he powers up and stuff, like you know, like he gets all veiny and like mutated and whatnot. Uh, that's kind of what happens to these fries. They take on this like monstrous mutant kind of yeah, I don't know form, and then. Um, uh, there's this this egg character, and he uses shiracha hot sauce <laughs> to power up. So I don't know. It's been really fun. There's lots of uh, just kind of off the cuff food puns, and the action's drawn really well. It's it's appealing art style. I would give it a look. Um, he's he's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. You just look for Ration Riot on Facebook. And uh, he's all, it looks like he's also got a Patreon page, which I think we're going to see an awful lot more Patreon pages for webcomic artists. It seems like everybody's kind of jumping on there. So Yeah, and I'm, I was talking to you about that earlier in the week. I think that's a good system, especially for something like that where it's, one one person or a small group of people putting out this like a webcomic or something on the regular that's a nice way to support them and make sure that um you continue that they have the ability to provide you with this this awesome stuff that is generally usually free absolutely and it's also set up in a nice way where they don't get paid unless you are producing you know, uh-huh. as a as a webcomic artist, I know sometimes you'll hit that block. But if I know that, uh, you know, I'm getting paid on a project, I tend to, I, I tend to head down and get to work. So I think this is going to be a huge motivator for these creators who would have normally put their art out anyways. 
Mm-hmm. Now they're now they're now they're going to do it both because they're uh, they want to do it anyways, you know, because mm-hmm. it's hardwired into them. They were going to do it, but now they're also getting paid to do it, so they don't have to feel guilty about sidelining anything else. Yeah, it's 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 an incentive, and I've had the conversation with um, some of my musician friends where it's also the whole thing of like. A deadline, and it's not necessarily giving you a deadline, but it's giving you an incentive to do it. Um, If you don't have a deadline or some type of thing that says, man, even if you really want to, man, I really need to get this out, sometimes it's just hard to force yourself to do it. So it's nice to have that extra, that extra kick to be like, yeah, you should, you should do this. Yeah, there's all these people that are counting on you, and you can see the numbers. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to let down that many people? No way. I'm getting to work. Um, yeah, that's nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, a webcomic I've really been enjoying that I want to talk about is Untold Tales of Bigfoot. Um, you can check that out at untoldtalesofbigfoot.com. It's by, um, it's written and illustrated by, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his last name even though it's not that complex. It's Vince. It's either Dorse or Dorsey. Um, he's also that's on Twitter. That's how I pronounce it in my head. Which one, Dorsey? Dorsey, that's how I pronounce it in my head. So that's, if we're totally dead wrong. You berate us nicely and politely, please. <laughs> nicely and politely. Maybe a little passive aggressive. That's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we deserve that. We, we do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this webcomic is great. Um, I discover. I wish I could remember. It was another thing, like on Twitter. Which, which I have to say, um, you mentioned the, uh, comic, the webcomic community online, um, as being pretty awesome. And I would have to agree. It is pretty awesome. Yeah. Especially on Twitter. Um, everybody, everybody will retweet each other's stuff. Um, there's a lot of conversations going on. Uh, I've been really impressed with, with, uh, the, um, with the community there and the spirit behind it. It's very cool. It feels like Twitter is where web comics, you know, like where creators really hang out. I, you know, I could be wrong. There could be other places, but I don't feel quite like that community exists as much on the other social media platforms. Yeah, yeah, and of of the few communities I've been involved in, um, the web comics community on Twitter is definitely one of the more active ones. I found this through somebody's retweet on Twitter. And I wish I could remember who it was because I'd like to give them a shout out too. I can't offhand, but Untold Tales of Bigfoot is awesome. Um, it's been going for a while, uh, several years. Um, it's currently up to um, page eighty-nine because each each one's um, listed as a page. And it is a it is like you said, long form. It's a continuous story, and as you would imagine by the title, uh, the main characters um, include. A Bigfoot, this very cute-looking and lonely Bigfoot, and a little puppy dog that gets uh, abandoned by his owners in the woods towards the very beginning of the story. And uh, most of it is it's very much an adventure following um, Bigfoot and this dog. And it's it's got a lot of cute moments, but it's surprisingly... Um, it's very heavy. It doesn't necessarily, it's not just for kids. Like there is, 
um, emotional content. And that's one of the most surprising things about it is that there is so much emotional content. You become invested. And, uh, I think the writer, um, enjoys making the reader feel bad a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) He enjoys giving them that little bit of a a kick while they're down once in a while. But at the same do you enjoy social uh, anxiety? Do you, do you enjoy that separation anxiety that you feel <laughs> when your owners leave you behind because you were scared of the Bigfoot? That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there is some sadness in this thing, but it's also really good. It's fun. Um, like I said, it is it is kid friendly in that there's 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 no coarse language. Um, there's not there's no violence. You know, it's it's appropriate for kids, but it's also not not, um, the, some of the issues with something, sometimes you'll come across very kid friendly stuff. That's feels a little brain dead, but this is definitely something that, um, would appeal to adults as well. I don't know if I'm explaining that very well. Yeah, no, it, it totally, it doesn't talk down. Thank you. That's the perfect way to put it. Uh, yeah, it doesn't talk down to you at all. The art is fantastic. Uh, so consistent. It's beautiful. It is. And from page, and from the page one until now, it is, like you said, it's so consistent. Um, super professional looking work. It's laid out in like a full, like a page. Each and each panel or each installment is like a full page. The creator has said before that if, that he would like to, if he had, um, if he felt there was enough of a following behind the comic, uh, to do, to kickstart, uh, a book, a physical book. And you can tell, like, I mean, not that that's necessarily his end goal with it, but you can tell it's ready to go. It's all page style layout. It's drawn, written. It's got layout in mind. I think Uh I would agree with that for sure. And, and as an illustrator, this guy, this guy is, is top notch and dead on with it. Um, the colors are fantastic. The, the character designs are great. Uh, it's, it's got this, I don't want to, it's a kind of a cartoony. It's not like a hyper realistic, but at the same time, it's not, um, abstract. It's very detailed. It's just a great look to it. And the characters are good. I mean, the dog does talk. You get the inference that it's, it's, it's a dog language because, uh, yeah. Bigfoot doesn't quite seem to catch what he's saying most of the time. And Bigfoot's uh, vocabulary is limited as it is, but despite the language barrier, and that kind of plays into the fun of it, um, there's a good dynamic between the two characters. And it does, it, it, there's a lot of adventure, and then it will, it will, it'll get your heartstrings going. When it's told in an interesting style, it's almost like A-B storytelling, because you have the main storyline that takes place in the present, but you have a very active storyline that uh, is pulled as flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize the flashbacks took place in the 70s. I didn't realize Bigfoot was as old as he was. <laughs> that's that's my overlooking it as a reader. We've been trying to find him for years! <laughs> <laughs> um, when I come across this, I, I got hooked, and at the it's on page 89 now. At the at that point, it was on page 84, I believe. And periodically through the span of one day, um, I check it out on my phone, and then I got home and finished it up. I went through 
all 84 pages in one day. Well, yeah, I, you said that you were going to review this one, and I thought I'd just pop on and, and read just a handful. And I didn't get, you know, I didn't get that far, but I think I read probably 30 to 40 pages in a sitting. It's easily. It, it's really good. It's like, it's one of those, it's gripping. It, it, once you get into it, you want to know where it's going. Um, and it's as an ongoing story, it's kind of by design that, you know, you're not getting to it. You're not like, there's not like a, a finishing point. It's just, it's just going. They're still on this adventure. But yeah, I was, I was hooked on it. And I, like I said, I just periodically through the span of one day, I, I, I read it all. Um, and yeah, it's an excellent, it's an excellent webcomic. I would suggest it to pretty much anybody. Like, I think it would appeal to anybody because it's, I don't, it's not so cutesy that people aren't going to take it seriously. Like I said, it's kind of, it's got its cute moments, but it's, it's also can hit you pretty serious. But at the same time, it's not like a, it's not like a heavy, dark, relentlessly, you know, gritty type story or anything like that. It's, yeah, it's, we're not we're not talking Dark Knight Returns or The Crow or something like that. So that's what I would suggest. Um, I would really like to get that artist on an episode sometime. I've heard him talk on another podcast before, so maybe t- sometime I'll have to hit him up on Twitter. But um, and, and personally apologize for potentially ruining his name. Yeah, potentially ruining his name <laughs> and. Him hawing through an otherwise positive review. <laughs> um, but yeah, check that out. Untold Tales of Bigfoot. Uh, excellent. I, I, I push this. This is one of those ones that I come across online and I push it. I push it on everybody who I think might be interested. That is my webcomic recommendation. Do it. Do it read, now. Read it with your eyes. <laughs> read it with your eyes and feel it with your heart. No offense, blind people. If you're, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, if that's no, the case, no offense, none. Have, yeah, <laughs> if that's the case, it's still a good story. Have someone read it and explain it to you because I think you'll still get caught up into the story. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm avoiding anything that might be offensive at this point. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of which, let's move on to our poll list. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Feel free to edit any of my shenanigans. <laughs> oh, no, your shenanigans are staying. <laughs> um, yes, let's move on to the poll list. The winning title uh, from last month uh, on our poll list poll, which I... Uh, periodically post links to the poll on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can always find it at our website. Um, go on there and find a title you like and vote on it, and we will talk about it or suggest a new title and vote on it. Um, the one that, uh, the, the winner from last, the winner sounds weird. It's like, this book won, yay, we get it, to, we we're going to talk about <laughs> well, it. it did, it won some awards, so. Oh, this book did win awards. Okay, yeah. Mouse, we're going to talk about Mouse today. We read both Volume 1 and 2, or Mouse the Complete a Collection, yeah. or if you want to look at it that way. Um, and now we're going to talk about it. Hold on, I have details. 
<laughs> All right, Mouse. Uh, Mouse, A Survivor's Tale um, by Art Spiegelman was released in 1991. Uh, it's basically a story of the artist's father's um, tale of survival through the Holocaust. It's a true story, and the artwork is interesting because it's it's told in a very um, cartoon comic strip looking style artwork where they have like human type bodies, but they have animal type heads. I thought that was kind of interesting take on it. I read each volume of this. Um, I read volume one in one sitting straight through front to back um, on a Saturday evening. And then I read volume two the same way on another Saturday evening, cover to cover straight through I was really surprised because I usually don't, I usually can't go through an entire graphic novel in one sitting like that. But this is, this is a very gripping story. I was at the very, at the very beginning of it, I was a little unsure because, um, full disclosure, I wasn't super excited to read this in the first place. Not because I didn't think it would be good. Um, it's considered one of the best of the medium type. It's on every, like, greatest graphic novels list of all time out there. But, um, it's kind of like the movie Schindler's List in that yes. Yes. it's a, it's a great movie. It's a fantastic, the, technically it's a fantastic work of art. Um, but I watched it once and I will never watch it again. It is just too depressing. It's kind of like the pianist. It's like it's like a lot of movies that deal with this subject matter, where yeah, you it, it's engrossing, but you don't immediately think I want to read that. And so for that reason, it it, it was on both of our you know list of shame because mm-hmm. neither one of us had read this before the poll. Yeah, exactly. I just wasn't. I wasn't excited to get depressed, and that's what I was expecting. Um, But I started reading it, and at first, also, the artwork wasn't off-putting, but, you know, like, I was reading some regular comic books, and then I was like, well, I should start this, and I hopped over there. So just the change of art style going to um, a black black and white, um, not that it's not dynamic, but sometimes very flat-type art style, I was going to say, be careful who you're talking to here. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I, had, you know, was reading uh, some, probably some DC stuff or some just some superhero comics. And then I jumped over there and the change of art style is, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just a shock at first. You're like, whoa, okay, okay. You got to like, yeah. you have to readjust how... Absolutely. You're looking at this 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 comic here. You got to get your bearings. It's yeah. It's it's kind of like uh, watching new Doctor Who, and then going back and watching old Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. They're both, they're both excellent for their own reasons and their own ways, but there's a different kind of storytelling that happens. And so so at first I was I was a little hesitant, but then. Uh, several pages in, I was pretty much hooked, and like I said, I just read the whole thing front to back, and it it kept me kept me reading, kept me flipping through it. It's a it's a pretty wild story. If you can't guess, 
by the fact that I blew through both volumes pretty quick. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it surprised me in a sense of it is a it's it is a Holocaust survivor story, um, but at the same time, I didn't find it as oppressively depressing as I was expecting. Um, I still found yeah. it not to say entertaining, but I found it enjoyable. It was still, I thought, an enjoyable telling of this story. Yes, but that's the right way to put it. It's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to really kind of formulate how to put this since it is uh, the real life telling of a uh, uh, Holocaust. Yeah, all, you know, all the char- knowing that all the characters are real people. I didn't. I wasn't able to blow through it as quickly, but I was quite engrossed, and I did uh, read it relatively quickly. Considering when I when I looked at it, and when it was the first thing uh, pulled for the poll list, I thought, "Oh my goodness, how how am I going to get a text of this magnitude done in a month?" Mm-hmm. Because I knew it was. It's I knew it was a full on graphic novel. It's not like. It's not like some of the trades that you see nowadays where it's basically six issues compiled together in a perfect bound. It's full on, it's a full on work. Yeah, it's, it's a dense, in terms of a graphic novel, it is a dense read. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, what do I want to say? In, initial thoughts on it were just like you said, you know, hesit- hesitant getting started, mm-hmm. but, that yeah that disappears really quickly and it and i think part of that is the nature of how it's written you you're set primarily in the present and you are hearing the story as told from father to son in the context of you know i i think i related to it in in the respect that i felt like when you grow up you don't get to you don't get to go home and see your folks as often as you'd like to and i guess maybe that really you know, like that that whole dynamic between father and son really uh caught me right off the bat because it's like he he goes he goes to visit his father regularly to get the story uh partly because he is a cartoonist and he wants to tell the story and it was interesting because you had this di- this dynamic of of you know connecting with your with your family as you're getting older and they're getting older and and how that feels uh so going into it you know that the main character survives you know he's a survivor and so in the face of that it's kind of like filling in from here to there it's filling in the blanks how in the world did he survive all this? Mm-hmm. And so you get to see that unfold in kind of flashback clips. So that it's not all just, atro- you know, you don't see these atrocious things happen all at once. You, you kind of you get like a commercial break almost. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, okay, well, this is as far as, you know, I, I can't remember right off the top of my head what his dad's name was, but this is as far as he wants to go today. You know, now he's tired. Now he's going to go to bed or he wants to go to the bank or he wants to do this next thing. And so you get it in those snippets and 
in in some respects it's it's just good storytelling and in some respects it gives you as the reader a break for just a moment to kind of process what you just read yeah it really does it does a lot to the tone of the story because i feel if it was just um i i appreciated this this uh this style of the storytelling in this um because if it was just a straight through story um it, yeah it would be a little harder to handle because it is pretty bleak and like you said since you do know he survived and it's a survivor's tale that kind of helps a little bit um mm-hmm. I also uh, kind of thought it was interesting that in taking place in, well, at the time of the recordings, you know, present day, and then doing the flashbacks, I find it's interesting that you get invested in the characters, and I say characters, I mean, they were people, but for the sake of the story, you know, the characters in uh, the flashback, but there's also um, the story of the relationship between... um, uh, Art Spiegelman and his father, and then um, uh, his father's uh, current wife, and there's there's ongoing um, what's the word marital there, dispute. Yeah, and there's an ongoing story um, in the present day, separate of what's going on in the flashbacks. Yeah, you can kind of see how all these things have affected him. Spiegelman released, like, um, it's not necessarily, like, a making of mouse, but it's something kind of like that, in which you you get access, you can listen to the original recordings of him and his father. Oh. And that would be... That that would be intense. Yeah, that'd be very, that'd be very... And, you know, I don't know that it was intentional, but I think one thing that the arts, uh, the decision to portray the people as animals in the art anyway... Yeah. Almost kind of softens, uh, the reality of what it is. And I'm not, that's probably not necessarily the point of doing it that way. Um, well, and, and somehow by taking these anthropomorphic, uh, animals and putting them in the guise, it, it softens the blow, but yet it's a challenge for the artist. And he rises to the challenge because even though it's done in this comic strip, uh, basic cartooning style, he really does a nice job of hitting hitting you with you know like moments when they're in the camps and they're emaciated and he's got some panels that are uh i don't know you know like they're disturbing <laughs> uh even though they're cartoon mice you know you get the point you you really do even though even though it's been softened you know like he, the blow has been softened but you still get hit with a gut punch. <laughs> yeah, I, and I'm not sure if if that's necessarily the correct way to put it is 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 being softened, but it it definitely has kind of an effect on how the reader ingests it. I've, um, talking about the art style, I was also impressed with, and this ties into what you were saying, um, particularly the mice, like the design of the characters. Um, it's not minimalistic, but it's kind of like. It's not like super detailed, and I was impressed with how he still was able to pull facial expressions and get like some real strong emotion out of um, these particular designs for 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 the mice, the mice specifically. Oh yeah, 
especially since they're you're looking at kind of Calvin and Hobbes style eyes, just little you know, like little ovals or little black dots for eyes. And yeah, yeah. He uses a lot of posing and um, angles, and yeah, he does. He pulls a lot of different expressions into what is a pretty simple, um, pretty simple design as far as cartooning goes. I've got a, a page pulled up on on my iPad here, and mm-hmm. I'm and, you know, like each panel is infused with some kind of uh, action or reaction, like. Um, as he's telling the story, he's got his he's got his uh, glasses down on his nose, and he's got his uh, index finger pressed against his forehead as he's trying to remember something. And then, then he goes back into a flashback, and you've got him putting on his clothes or grabbing his hat off of the coat rack. There is a you know it, it's real easy to slip into this world because the the backgrounds are there. Uh, the actions are there. Each panel tells a story, even if it's just a simple, as a simple zoom in on a face with a with a hand on his head kind of thing. I think the relationship between between uh, the the writer and his father, the way he explores it in here or presents it in this, is interesting. He kind of portrays himself as kind of a. Not necessarily a jerk, but he's very, like, he definitely doesn't attempt to present himself in a favorable light. Right. He's very honest about his relationship. Yeah, in that he's very kind of dismissive of... Very um, frustrated. (laughs) Yeah, frustrated with his father, dismissive of what I'm sure is, you know, the same usual complaints and, and gripes that his father has that he hears all the time. Um... He's very on him to get the story out uh, and do these interviews with him that he comes across uh, not in the best light all the time. And I think that's interesting. And I wonder, I almost wonder if he shades himself to look less favorable than it actually was. I, I'm, I'm just curious as how accurate, um, I'm sure it's, it's fairly accurate, but. If he's how, purpose, purposely self-deprecating, maybe. He, yeah, as and just as kind of um, the way people tend to do anyway in their own in their own memories of themselves. Sometimes some people will do that, and mm-hmm. I kind of wonder how much of that is at play here. That's just kind of a just something that crossed my mind when I was reading it. Sure, there are a few kind of fun moments in this, and there's there's a, a few kind of moments that I uh, was surprised by and entertained. I liked when. There would be scenes dealing with him actually writing and drawing the comic itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene like where he would take, uh, he'd started writing on it and he took it to his father's house and they're talking about the comic itself. And then later, I believe it's towards the beginning of the second volume, it even goes further as to, um, it's after the first volumes come out and you get this part where, uh, this bit where, in the artwork, like you're, you're, this definitely, cause you're talking about there's mainly, there's a flashback time, um, during the war. There's, uh, kind of, for what is most of the novel, um, the present time, present day in which his father's alive and he's talking, getting the, doing the interviews with him. And then at one point it even jumps 
beyond all that to where you've got, it's clearly people, like it's actual people, except they're wearing uh, the the mice masks and such. Yeah, the like animal a masks. flash sideways or a flash to the future. Because yeah, yeah. And therapy and kind of dealing with the process of actually making the book and the success that the first volume had. Yeah, and it, and that's one of the most and he 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 allows it to be much more stylized where he feels like he's being you know at one point he he actually shrinks down to a smaller size cuz he feels like you know oh yeah he's being kind of be, not not necessarily belittled but you know he just feels the world's making him feel small and all these guys you know pushing him on the book and this and that um there's definitely some interesting decisions there in almost a meta way yeah where it would jump outside of the normal parts of the story at first i didn't like that because it it takes you out of the story for a moment Uh like it starts the same way that uh volume one starts and then just all of a sudden it, it jumps and you get this weird flash sideways um like it, like it starts with him and his wife, and and talking about and talking about how he should draw his wife because she's actually French and then married into his family. Yeah, I enjoy. Yeah, sorry, I enjoyed that bit quite a bit actually. That was yeah, uh, that was one of the fun moments. But yeah, continuing. I'm sorry. When then and then it jumps. Then it jumps into that what I would call a flash sideways or a flash future. Um, and then yeah, everything changes. And so for a moment, I didn't like that, but then. Like if you just keep with it, it's like, oh wow, this is super important. Uh huh. Just in a different way. But at first, I was like, I don't know if I don't know what's going on here. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to discount it. It's such a poignant moment in the book too. Yeah, I'm actually I'm with you there totally because at first at first it threw me and I was a little worried. I was like, well, I mean, is this is it is this are we? Because it feels like you're suddenly, all of a sudden, you're like, well, is this going to kind of go off the rails, so to speak? Yeah. I was worried that it was going to continue the rest of the book that way. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, then it, then it returns back to the story. And, and then afterwards, you're like, okay, like you said, you're like, oh, yeah, wow, this is, that's actually a very kind of important, uh, moment. And it, uh, enhances the overall story. Yeah. It's clearly a lot of insight to him at that point writing where he was at, you know. Which is kind of another interesting just the way he goes about it is it's very personal um clearly to him. You also get his father's story which is a very personal and truthful story. Um but being able to do these these jump back and forwards in time like you get insight to the writer about what he's writing while you're still in the, what he's writing. I thought that was pretty interesting storytelling. When, yeah, he, he, like he shrinks in the face of the, uh, oh, what was it? Basically like the media asking him yes. about the book. And then he goes to his therapist and, and he's, he's walking home after his therapy session. And he, he's like talking about how he doesn't know why he doesn't, 
really understand why, but the sessions really make him feel better. And, and there's like a series of three panels and he's just walking and you see him start to grow back to normal scale. You know, like he was like this little, almost like a childlike size and he's slowly growing back into his full self as he's walking home and decompressing from his therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, the rest of the book doesn't have those type of stylistic uh, flourishes. Right. So I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I also appreciated the comment in that part where, uh, there are animals on the street and like actual like dogs and cats. And he, he's, he voices concern as to like what that's going to do to the animal uh, symbolism he's already got in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. In the story. I appreciated that. And also that did kind of throw me later on where, um, at one point, and this is during back in the flashback during the war where, um, his father, and I believe it was at his mother at the time are hiding and a rat crawls across her and she freaks out. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, I will say for a moment, it did kind of take me out of the story where I was like, wait, but she's uh kind of a mouse. But yeah, anyway. Sure. Yo, that's crazy because it like, you, you mentioned that and I, it didn't even occur to me. I was so. Well, see, and that's what's interesting in that like he visually represented like on the page, these people as, as mice and there's the pigs, which are the non-Jewish Polish people. Um, and and all that. And I appreciated when, um, when the Jewish Poles would pretend to be, pretend not to be Jewish. And it was basically the mice with like a pig mask tied on. Right. I thought, yeah. I thought that was amusing, but it's interesting that even though they're represented that way, at no point is it like, you know, um, I'm not familiar with animal farm, but what I imagine animal farm where it's like, Here's an allegory told through, you know, animals. Um, in this case, it's like they're just visually represented as these animals, but the story is very human. There's, they're humans. Um, and like you said, you didn't even notice uh, where she screams because there's a rat that crawls across her hand, despite the fact that in the artwork she herself is a mouse. But Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, uh, you're like, mentioning the uh the masks there's that there's that one scene where there's the um there's the prisoner the Auschwitz prisoner who's um trying to explain to the the German soldiers that he doesn't belong there that he's german uh-huh and and uh so he's trying to ask his father well was he really german and his his father's like it doesn't matter you know who knows and it doesn't matter because to the Germans, he was not German. So he was Jewish. So you have kind of this scene where it's the, it's the pose where he's begging and then you see it silhouetted behind them as they're, they're talking, they're tell, as he's telling the story and you see him as a cat. And so it's yeah, both ways. It changes. Yeah. 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 yeah there's and some just, he Sorry, didn't survive. I mean, that's the other uh -huh. thing. You see that tragedy hit completely. So yeah, I don't know. That was a really poignant moment in the, in that page, I think. Mm -hmm. And I suppose we can't totally avoid like some of the more de depressing story aspects. There's a couple parts 
that are particularly powerful. Specifically, the ones that really, like, struck me as being, I don't know, just really heavy moments where, where they'd have to, where they'd have to make a decision and then often, sometimes that decision was wrong. Uh, the example is sending the son, like, at one point they had a chance to send their son with these people to live there and try to, um, hide out during the war. And they, they opted not to. They're like, we're not going to send our son away. And then, turns out later they did try to send, they sent their son with someone else. The kids from the first, the original group, um, survived. And just, just things where it's like, we had a chance to do this. We decided not to go with those people or send our son with those people. Instead, we did this. Those original people survived and, you know, our son did not or these people did not. Just, just those moments where I would imagine our, like, as a survivor, looking back are some of the toughest moments where you made this decision well, that was clearly brutal. Hindsight would be brutal, especially oh, yeah. looking at a work like this, because yeah, he, he does, he interjects all that hindsight mm-hmm. throughout too. He'll, he'll say, he'll say this little bit and then he'll be like, and they survived. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And that's kind of another, uh, deal where this, the decision to do the flashbacks and the present day, and covering, the, having the actual interview sessions as part of the storytelling technique makes it, um, makes certain scenes just extra, extra heavy. Yeah. Because you've got the setup and then he's there to tell you right away, um, the, the consequences. Here's, here's how it ended up going down. We're joined by Melanie now. Melanie is here. Hello. 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 Um, woohoo! Did you have anything you wanted to add on mouse? Um, What's your overall thought? Do you enjoy it? You, mm-hmm. Well, as much as you can enjoy a, a story about right. the Holocaust. Yeah, exactly. I enjoyed it, but you know, it's it's depressing and mm-hmm. it's you know, and not just the Holocaust stuff. Even even the other like later in his life, the type relationship stuff. between 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 the the father and the son and the father and his stepwife. Like all of it was kind of depressing, but it was still you know a good story. It was. Mm-hmm. It's just not something to be like, woo, yeah, mouse. I can't, can't get like that. It's yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, well, well done, but, mm. you know, it's depressing. And now I found, I might have to check out some of his other stuff. I found like between the style of artwork and the decision to use the animals, um, it creates kind of a unique feel and world in which this happens. Obviously it's a true story. So it happened in the real world, but, the overall, because of the aesthetic, and then also kind of the story structure, um, it created kind of an interesting world, and where I wouldn't necessarily want to re- reread this story, right. because it's not uplifting necessarily. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a survivor's tale, so maybe it's supposed to be, but yeah, it's just kind of real life, so it's just, yeah. you know. But I did think it was kind of an interesting world, and I wouldn't mind revisiting something similar. Does that make sense? Sure. Any any final thoughts on Mouse? I think that it's a really good way to get a handle on history. You know, mm-hmm. if this was like a world, if this, taking college classes, if this was a world history text that I needed to um, read and buy, 
I would have loved that. I would have loved this as a piece of a world history class. Right. I think, uh, as I, I also love what this book in particular has done for the medium of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can make graphic novels any more serious, you know, and, and just legitimate, I guess, right. than, than a work like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so yeah, this is, this is, I would say this is one of those books where, um, it's not really even a recommend. It's a, it's at some point you, you should read it if you're into, well, you should just, people should just read it anyway, because it's one of those stories. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're into the medium at all, you have to read this book at some time. Um, it's, it's just definitely one of those kind of stories, uh, but yeah, it was, I'm glad, I'm glad it, I'm glad it was suggested. Yes. It was, it was a good book. Agreed. All right. So that was Mouse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's also one of those stories where if you talk about it in a podcast where you're supposed to be having fun, it's hard to segue into and out of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, then we, we start Swamp Studies with a jaunty tune. Swamp study. Oh wow! Yes. Wow, this headphone thing. Okay, I was telling Jesse about the headphone setup. How we're going to hear ourselves through it? Or you are? You can't hear. I still don't hear us. It's fine. But you hear Jesse? Yeah. I prefer it that way because I don't like the sound of my own voice. It sounds weird to me. It's not my, it's not how it sounds to me and yeah. it freaks me out. So I'd rather not hear it. Well, that's, that's probably, that's definitely good then, but it is weird because I can hear you in my head, but I also hear you outside uh-huh. over here. Right. And when you're <laughs> laughing, it's like this weird, <laughs> it's like uh-huh. um, insanity. <laughs> my insanity sounds like. <laughs> Psychosis that I have. Yeah, my, my my insanity sounds like sounds like Melanie. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we're gonna move that along. Just got real awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Mo- moving along <laughs> quickly. Swamp studies. We are, in a way, rebooting Swamp Studies. We talked about the first half of Book 1 of Saga of the Swamp Thing, um, a little bit the first episode. Uh, since then, we've decided to kind of reformat the segment itself. Um, we're going to go full spoilers on Swamp Studies, on mm-hmm. Saga of the Swamp Thing, because I believe, as Jesse said, then otherwise it sounds like we're talking in code, and that can't yeah. be fun to listen to. No, it can't. So we're going full spoilers. Um, oh, there was a couple other things that are relevant. We're going to do a Swamp Studies every two months instead of every month. We're going to cover a full book every two months instead of half a book every month. So it's still to be the same time period. Mm-hmm. And so um, I have a synopsis. I have some synopsis of the first half. Since we already talked about that, we can kind of... I'll try to rush through that and we can breeze through that quickly. And then we can kind of discuss the second half a little bit more in depth if we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I just had a synopsis in mind. Fluoronic man, 
That is a pretty good synopsis. Um, Sorry, go on. (laughs) (laughs) So, Saga of the Swamp Thing. Uh, We'll be talking about issues number 21 through 27, also collected in book one, Saga of the Swamp Thing. Um, This is written by Alan Moore. The art is by Steve Bissett and John uh, Tottlebin. I'm terrible with names. Tottlebin? Sure, looks good. Okay. The colorist is Tatiana Wood. It's lettered by John Costanza Costanza and Todd Klein. Uh, uh, Issues number 21 through 25 was edited by Len Wein, who is one of the original creators of something. Mm -hmm. And 26 and 27 was edited by Karen Berger. Um, Oh, yeah, and Swamp Thing was created by Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson. All right. All right, so like I said, I'm going to blast through these. Um, if you guys have anything you want to talk about in regards to these, we can throw that in between. I also included a summary for issue 20, Loose Ends, because I hadn't read it, and mm-hmm. in researching it, there was actually some interesting information that was relevant that I kind of wish I had known. Okay. Mm-hmm. Issue number 20, Loose Ends. This is the first issue written by Alan Moore. Uh, Moore came onto the title in the middle of an ongoing storyline by previous writer Marty Pascoe. And this first issue, appropriately titled Loose Ends, primarily serves to wrap up these storylines. The issue opens with Swamp Thing finding the corpse of his enemy, Anton Arcane, mm-hmm. who we will meet again, uh, confirming that Arcane is indeed dead. The core of the story features Swamp Thing and his small circle of friends uh, being hunted down by General Avery Sunderland, who also comes into play again and an organization hired by the Sunderland Corporation called DDI. Sunderland's private army destroys the home of Abby and Matt Cable, who befriended Swamp Thing in the first volume of Swamp Thing back in the 70s. The couple witnesses the explosion from a distance, so they escaped, uh, they did escape unharmed. And they come back into play, obviously, pretty early into this run. In this volume of the title, Swamp Thing is also befriended by Arthur, uh, author and journalist Liz Tremaine, and her husband, uh, Dr. Dennis Barclay, who is an employee of DDI. The, arm, the army targets them as well, destroying their motel room, though, the, though they also seem to escape. They, that army can't seem to get anything right, except for when it comes to Swamp Thing, because uh, the issue concludes with Sunderland's men killing Swamp Thing. Oh. So. Boo, army. Can I just add real quick, Austin? You, didn't, you said it for everybody else, but you didn't say it for Liz Tremaine. Comes back and play later, too. Yes. Yeah, both of them do. Liz Tremaine and Dennis, uh, Dennis Barclay come back into play way later. Yeah. Yeah. This, I guess this is something that Moore has done before when he, take, he took over a title. I can't remember what the other title was, um, but it is not uncommon for him to come onto a title and instantly kill off the title character, which is an interesting... Um, Obviously, we know what happens here, but that's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah. Uh, issue 21, which is often considered, like, you know, the true beginning of the Alan Moore run. Um, the title character, Swamp Thing, dead, on ice, in the laboratory of Sunderland's stronghold of, stronghold of a tower. I read, I wrote this, and I'm reading it, so weird, though. Uh, Sunderland has Jason Woodrow, a fairly obscure villain known as the Floronic Man, 
released from <laughs> he has him released from prison prison to study the corpse of Swamp Thing under threat of reincar reincarnation reincarceration. <laughs> yes, he did. I should have wrote this knowing I was going to have to read it. Sunderland demands Woodrow discover the secret of Alec Haldron's bio-restorative formula from the remains of Swamp Thing. What Woodrow discovers instead is that Swamp Thing is, in fact, big spoilers, not Alec Holland or even human at all, but a vegetation creature imprinted with the memories of Alec Holland. At this time, Swamp Thing himself uh, had believed he was Holland to the point of creating vegetable versions of human organs that were, in fact, functionless. So he believed so it was he, an investigation of a vegetation. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it was a veget- vegetation investigation. That's great. Yes. This issue concludes with the thawing of Swamp Thing's remains, which regains consciousness, discovers Woodrow's papers, and thus the true nature of himself, and finally murders Sunderland, all under the distant orchestration of Jason Woodrow. Oh, man, I thaw that one coming. Oh! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> issue 22, Swamped. Here we find Swamp Thing has escaped back to the swamps, taken root and fallen into, into some sort of coma-like dream state, having given up on his quest for humanity. Uh, Abby and Matt Cable find his unresponsive body, at which time Woodrow confronts the couple. He tells them of the events of the Sunderland Corporation and of his discoveries about the true nature of Swamp Thing. Abby's clearly distraught, and the couple leaves the swamp. There's a bug in his arm. I had to throw that in because yeah. that's memorable to yeah. me. Meanwhile, Woodrow continues experimentation on Swamp Thing's bodies, taking pieces of him, including a strange tuber that was growing from him. Swamp Thing, during all this time, continues to struggle with the memories of Alec Holland and the reality of his inhumanity through sequences of dreams and nightmares. Abby suspects her husband, Matt, to be cheating on her with another woman. He is not, but we glimpse Matt's strange ability to manifest illusions or something with his mind. I have, illusions or something. Illusions or something with his mind. Well, when I first read this, and use, I guess use your illusion. I guess I guess this is something that was kind of established that he had these powers. But when I first read this, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't. and it yeah, was, that was jarring. Yeah, it was very confusing. But yeah, so the, but but I also wasn't sure what to write. They're illusions, but then again, they're. May, are they physical manifestations? Like, I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah that, that ties into book two, spoilers. But, yeah. But I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. And that is some creepy stuff, though, that they have when he's... She thinks he's cheating on him because she hears voices or something, and she goes in, nothing's going on, but then she leaves, and you see kind of, like, all this really creepy stuff happening. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. In an attempt to t- connect with the green which is a networked collective conscious shared by all plant life on Earth, Woodrow, who is already endowed with some form of vegetable mutation and powers, takes his experiments to the extreme by eating the tuber found growing from Swamp Thing. He succeeds, but is ultimately driven mad by the overwhelming input and power. And that's how we end that issue. How far we got? We're almost done here. Yeah, we do more issues, too. Okay. Issue number 23, Another Green World. Swamp Thing is still rooted into the swamp, exploring the green and trying to figure out who or what he really is. This is one of my favorite parts of the beginning of the whole saga of the Swamp Thing, is like the discovering of the green and all that. Mm -hmm. While drifting through the green, he discovers another mind, a foreign mind in the green. There is red in the green. 
Eventually he realizes it is Woodrow, but is still content to wander the plant dimension. Meanwhile, Woodrow is using his newfound ability to control plant life through his connection to the green to wage wholesale slaughter on all red things. He murders several... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had fun with this. It was just a co- that was a communist allegory right there. <laughs> <laughs> there are Bolsheviks in your swamp. <laughs> uh, he murders <laughs> he murders several people in the swamp before laying waste to a nearby small town, killing all but one resident who is tasked with videotaping the event to deliver it to the next town as a message, which was pretty cool. It, it really dates it though, because nowadays you just use your phone. Yeah, that's true. Use Bam. your phone, and you wouldn't even have to leave. Um, during this time. That's one thing, like, it is dated, you can tell by the styles, and I guess something like that, but for the most part, reading through all this, it doesn't really feel too dated, and that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than, like, the art style and stuff like that. Uh, during this time, Abby is under attack by plants in the swamp as she finds Swamp Thing and pleads for him to wake up. I wrote that <laughs> weird, so I changed it. <laughs> wake up. <laughs> Last minute revision. <laughs> I revised it as it's coming out of my mouth. Finally, Swamp Thing returns, only says to Abby that he is not Alec, and walks away. Abby follows, though. Woodrow is continuing his rampage, villainously obsessing that the world was a better place before there were animals. He says, where there was no noise, where there was no screaming meat. That's one of my favorite lines. I had to quote it. Madly claiming to be doing the Greens' bidding. The issue ends with Swamp Thing confronting Woodrow, proclaiming, No more. I'm having fun reading this. No more. No more. No more. Okay, and then we wrap up this this little story arc uh, in issue number 24, Roots. Enter the Justice League of America as they watch helplessly from the Justice League Tower satellite and debate amongst themselves as to how to deal with uh, the Floronic Man. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. They have de- defeated Woodrow in the past, but are stumped as to a viable solution now that he is controlling the world's veg- vegetation, or the wor- or the vegetation is controlling him, <laughs> causing the plants to over-oxygenate <laughs> the entire planet. Meanwhile, Swamp Thing and Woodrow are engaged in a brutal battle that takes up much of the issue, and is pretty cool, actually. Eventually, Swamp Thing explains to the unhinged, unhinged Woodrow that what he is doing is not the Green's will. It is actually hurting the Green. Woodrow's plan to kill all the animal cre- creatures on Earth would in turn also destroy the plant life. There would be no animals left to turn the oxygen back into the gases that plants require to survive. When Woodrow realizes Swamp Thing is right, it completely breaks Woodrow's sanity. He loses contact with the green and runs off screaming into the swamp. <laughs> Later, the Justice League finally arrives to find a pathetic and broken Woodrow, now disfigured beyond what his usual can of flexi flesh can conceal. <laughs> that is what it was called, oh, the spray-on flesh. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. I just like, oh, Shocked by his state, Superman and Green Lantern ask him, ask what is wrong with him. And this is one of my favorite ones, so I had to, I had to quote this too. Woodrow replies, because he is all jacked up and he is not looking normal at all. He says, "Oh, you mean my arm? Well, I broke it. An accident. I was just, you know, doing something normal, driving a car, fishing, one of those things us men do." <laughs> I love that bit. That was one of the laugh-out-loud moments for me when I was reading this. The Justice League decides to take him to Arkham. Elsewhere, Swamp Thing explains to Abby that Alec Holland is indeed dead, that he is simply Swamp Thing, 
and has come to terms with what he is. This issue concludes with a content Swamp Thing standing tall, arms outstretched to take in the sun. There's the first story arc. Yes. Um, yeah! Yeah! Sorry that, that that took a little while. I had fun reading it, though. <laughs> now, the next part, um, the next story arc is issues 25 through 27, I believe. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do a quick synopsis of issue 25. This is just off of Conic Vine, um, so I'm not sure how accurate. Yeah, because I don't think they bring... Yeah, they kind of jump around a little bit. In issue 25, we have um, a character by the name of Jason Blood comes in. He's kind of the psychic. He comes in, um, gives uh, some random people kind of this this death, this psychic reading of their death. Um, which is usually like some outlandish thing, like a swordfish at this time. Yeah, that was great. And you're like a swordfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and he does all this, this manner of creepy things. Like you had a, uh, some. My, my, my favorite, uh, when he shows up, you know, he's walking around doing these random things. And this isn't actually a prophecy or anything, but he gave $13 to a priest and laughed for a full minute. One full minute. And I, <laughs> cracked up when I read that. It was great. Also, at this time, we have Abby um, gets a job at uh, is it Elysium Lawns, mm-hmm. which is uh, like a home for troubled children. Mm-hmm. And she meets uh, this boy Paul, who they say is they say he's something autistic. Autistic. We find out why Paul's in there. Um, he witnessed his parents being murdered by what he says is. Uh, the Monkey King, a creature that came out when they were playing um, with a Ouija board. And this has one, of, I believe this issue has one of the creepiest moments where after the creature, it's this or the next one, after the creature kills his parents, it comes up to his room where he's hiding in his bed and nuzzles up against his hand and lays with him. Yes, because I was reading this right before bed. And I'm like, no! So, listeners, if, if you no. already read this, don't. Don't do it before bed. Uh, read it in well-lit areas, preferably daylight, um, maybe in a public park or library. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite and one of the creepiest moments, I think, in the whole run mm-hmm. is where it talks about him going up and nuzzling against his hand and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you... <laughs> um, did you have anything specific about this issue? Well, it was just a little bit, you know, a little bit more about Matt's powers. I, I had written down... Oh, yeah. There's a bit where he... I think he wants Abby to stay or something and she has to go to work. She leaves and he's not happy about it. And, uh... And then he, like, makes her clothes stand up like she's there and has this, like, weird moment with her clothing that is just weird, just strange to me and kind of creepy. Um, he likes to use his power to manifest strange women. <laughs> strange yeah. versions of women. <laughs> yeah. He uses it for what I think uh, a lot of men probably would use it for <laughs> if they had that ability. It, it seems like he, like, makes it and then he tries to be, like, dominant with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, because he can't be with her, I'm assuming, mm. you know, that kind of thing. But that was creepy, and I appreciated that. Um, I, really, I really liked how John Blood comes in. Um, I didn't realize that's who it was at first, because they don't really, they don't call him by name in the first issue, do they? I don't think so. And in fact, I wasn't sure, I'm not sure if I was, uh, he might say it in a later issue, but yeah, they don't really give him any kind of like actual introduction. He's just like, we start following him as he arrives in uh, Baton Rouge or wherever. 
Mm-hmm. And they say like the devil checked in at noon. Yeah, I'm, it's very cryptic. Which is I didn't even realize he had those precog abilities. So I was kind of confused at first. I'm, I was like, are they really doing the devil? They play it very mysterious. We'll move on to the next issue. Uh, Blood explains to Abby about the danger uh, uh, that she faces. She needs to protect Paul and the other children at, at Elysium Lawns, mm-hmm. which is kind of a terrible name for anywhere. Elysium Lawns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Abby returns. Don't name your bed and breakfast that. <laughs> yeah. Abby returns there um, and is explained to that all the children are acting stranger than normal and being violent. And they have all, and this is another good creepy moment, is mm-hmm. they've all uh, made drawings of similar white, creepy, Monkey King-looking creatures, which which was cool. It's one of those horror movie moments. Mm-hmm. Um, what else happens here? Uh, she meets Paul for the second time. He explains to her about the Monkey King and says that he's going to scare her to death. And she believes him but is afraid nobody else is going to believe them. Uh, she goes to the Swamp Thing, asking for help, and tries to explain the situation to him, but he already knew, because he can feel it in the air. And I believe this is where there's, a, like, all manner of creepy things are just happening. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a... First of all, I don't know who said it, but somebody, somebody refers to it as bad craziness. Bad craziness. Which I love. <laughs> and there's, like, birds falling from the sky, and, you know, the kids being crazy, um, things like that. And then, oh, the rest of it is later in the story, um, when the kids go to bed, they all start having, like, the Monkey King-induced nightmares. Yeah, That yeah. are creepy crazy and have a lot to do, have to do with their fears. I, I liked, I liked how they represented that, or how, how, especially through the artwork, that the Monkey King would, like, was in fact this actual thing, and he would appear to different people, um, as their fear. Mm-hmm. So a lot of kids, it was crazy monsters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then there were some kind of heavy moments where yeah. it was like a creepy uncle type situation. It, it was, um, it was her, her dad. Oh. He had molested her. That's yeah. why, why she, I'm assuming she went crazy and was ended up there. Kind of some heavy stuff there. Yeah. Um, but definitely like cool horror mm-hmm. elements going on there. Yeah. I really like that. And I, I believe it's, he's a, the monkey, the monkey king is a demon mm-hmm. and he like feeds off their fears. Feeds That's off their fears. And he's kind of attached himself to the boy, uh, Paul. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I don't re- remember why, specifically why. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not entirely certain why either. It's something, I think it's something like he has to have a master or something of that to, nature. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Almost like a host, not really a host, but kind of, you know, yeah. like he's got to have somebody. Yeah. He's the last living uh, family member of the people that summoned him, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. He's like yeah, the master. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. And so, together, Abby and Swamp Thing go back to Elysium Lawns in an effort to save the kids. Um, when they get there, the um, Monkey King has already begun to attack the children. Uh, and, uh, and then the demon, known as Etrigan... Mm-hmm jumps through, like, the skylight or a window or something and begins to battle, uh, I believe, the Monkey King? Yeah. Okay. And then I believe we finish out this issue with um, Abby's husband, Matt, is at home getting hammered. He's at home drunk, and he decides, I think he feels bad. 
and he decides to go find Abby and try to make up to her, make it up to her and all that. Mm-hmm. And so he hops in his car, and that's never a good idea when you're drunk, and he uh, crashes into a tree. Yeah. And that's where we leave that issue. I like the uh, foreshadowing where he's, like, going to grab the uh, the keys, and you've got the insects on the TV screen. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Which I didn't realize was foreshadowing. and Until mm-hmm. you got there, yeah. Yeah, Kay. yeah, yeah. What you got? One one last little thing. Okay, so he, Matt leaves um, drunk uh-huh. and crashes his car, and then it just the, the comic, it says, um, uh... The night can make a man more brave, but not more sober. And he's crashed into a billboard that says Burma Shave. And I'm like, that, if you add the Burma Shave to that, that rhymes. Is that some, you know, <laughs> foreshadow- is foreshadowing about the, Etrigan the rhyming demon? Yeah, maybe. That's kind of, oh, yeah. that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't know if it really is, but I noticed that. it and it was. That could be, yeah. An no. interesting coincidence, if nothing else. <laughs> And then we are on to issue number 27, which I believe is the last issue of book one. Um, yep. And the last issue of this little story arc with the Monkey King. Uh, the Monkey King is fighting against Swamp Thing and the Demon. Abby takes Paul and is advised by the Swamp Thing. Again, I'm getting this summary from comicvine.com. Um, Abby takes Paul and is advised, and advised by Swamp Thing. I don't like how this is written. Takes Paul to the Swamp where they believed it would be safer. The demon leaves the fight and goes after Paul and Abby, um, Etrigan, that is, uh, believing that he could, um, to, he could destroy Paul in order to make the Monkey King leave this plane of existence. Of course, Swamp Thing, who also followed them, fights him so that, um, fights him because he doesn't want anything bad to happen to Paul. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Monkey King shows up and attacks Abby. Watching this, Paul reacts to defend Abby and confronts... See, there's this mm-hmm. is kind of a wiki, mm-hmm. so people can edit, so it's going to be a little rough. Um, Paul reacts and def- uh, to defend Abby and confronts the demon, the Monkey King demon, mm-hmm. showing him that he wasn't afraid anymore. And by doing so, the demon loses his power and strength. And then finally Etrigan comes along and eats the demon, eats the Monkey King demon because he has no more power. Mm-hmm. Um, when all this is over, Etrigan, which, by the way, surprisingly, for whatever reason, I like Etrigan. Mm-hmm. I think he's an yeah. awesome character. You like Ryan. This was, this was an interesting way to represent him, too, because I've seen him in a lot of different things, and I think this was my favorite, uh, appearance of him. Yeah. And I like the whole, I like the d- dynamic between him and... And was it blood? What's his name? Jason blood. It's yeah, it's interesting. The first time I come across him was in, um, it wasn't too far off of this time period of comic. It was in a Batman or detective comics comic actually, which Mm. he's, he kind of felt out of place in a way, but it's, I liked him there too, but he's definitely much more interesting character in swamp thing here. And he kind of fits in a bit better. Right. So Etrigan warns Abby about something. The message is unclear, but it's very dark and ominous. Mm-hmm. And then leaves. Abby follows him to find out what, what he was talking about. But when she gets there, um, he's become Jason Blood again. And doesn't really, at least doesn't let on that he knows what the, the what Etrigan was trying to tell her. 
Um, but he also does say that sometimes demons share words of wisdom and sometimes they even say the truth. Meanwhile, this, this issue ends with, uh, Matt Cable seriously injured in the car accident. I don't know that they make that clear right away. What? Who visits him? He's visited oh, no, by not, this, not initially. this, this, is it a fly? It's a fly. He's, he, yeah, it's just like a fly. Yeah, this kind of like demon in fly form comes and visits him and offers to make a deal with him um, to kind of save his life. And here it says Matt thinks it's all a hallucination, um, but in the end accepts opening his mouth, and then the fly enters, and I'm not sure exactly how much they let on to what's actually happening at the end of this, so mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need to say except he uh, he was pretty much going to die. He accepted this deal from this shady-looking fly demon who you never <laughs> want to do dealings <laughs> with. Don't trust those flies, kids. Yep. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling things will not be uh, super good for him. Mm-hmm. But actually, at the very end, it, it ends with Abby coming up, and he's standing there, and the car's fixed, which... Okay. I thought it was oh, and the extra car was interesting because, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, okay, I understand, you know, the demon fixed him, but fixing up the car, too, that's that's pretty Is impressive. that part of Matt's powers, then? Yeah, that could be, though. Maybe oh, yeah, he, oh, yeah. Maybe. Which I believe is the reason the demon was interested in Matt in the first place. Yeah, well, that would make sense. That comes into play later, I believe. Mm-hmm. Actually, he's a good all around. Not only that, but, you know, he's with Abby. Yeah. So, that's... Yeah, the... Uh, demons and all kinds of things seem to have an obsession with Abby. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> so that, uh, more or less is where we, where book one leaves us. Mm-hmm. Um, any overall thoughts on either book one or this last story arc? Um, I have some from. Oh, you have uh, notes on this last issue. issue? Yeah, sorry. Go Just ahead. a couple. There's only like three or four. Um, when Abby initially leaves with Paul. Uh-huh. And leaves Swamp Thing there to fight with the other two. She's worried about him because she's leaving him with two monsters. And he said, no, three. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciated that. And when the fly is there, when it, when the fly first starts talking to Matt, he says, go ahead and scream because no one will hear it and else will be here when you're done. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> and, and then he did. Mm-hmm. He screamed. And then when it got back, he was like just ending his scream when it like finally jumped back to, to their little story part. And then at the very end, the little kid, to, er, Paul is talking to something about being scared, mm-hmm. and something's like, "Yeah, I was scared." And the kid's like, "Well, I guess it's okay then if even monsters are scared." And I really like that. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing about. I should have prepared a little better for the second part because, um, the first when I did the summaries for the first part, I was able. I went through and kind of combed through and picked out some of the like really good dialogue bits. Yeah, and I didn't really do that for the second part, so we're kind of glossing over some nice dialogue and stuff, but. Um, yeah, I, I just really like the writing, and one of my favorite aspects of some of the things that Alan Moore does in the writing um, comes out pretty well in this last storyline, because there's a lot of the the ominous, weird things happening, and creepy things, mm-hmm. and like just general bad aura spreading across the land type stuff. Bad which, craziness. Bad craziness, which <laughs> I believe comes back again. He does more of that. Yeah, it stuff. Comes, comes back in the next book, actually. Okay, cool, yeah. Yeah, you went ahead. You started book two. Um, I did. I, I'm ha- about halfway through. Are you? Okay. Oh, there's good stuff in all that. There's good stuff in all of it. But um. But yeah, this was I thought a really uh, just curious. Have you got to the nuke face papers? 
The what? The, okay, <laughs> you haven't. That's the name of one of the stories. That's one of my least favorite, I think. Oh. Okay. No, I haven't gotten there. Okay. Uh, one thing about this story yeah. that I thought is interesting, and, and I don't know if it kind of ties back. I don't know if it's a thing that's like a theme for more or not, but um, interestingly enough, it's, it comes down to Paul. Paul saves the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's the bravery of a child that, mm-hmm. that winds up. Because everybody else, I mean, like everybody else is kind of confronted by their fears and they all freak out. And uh, in the end, Paul faces his fears, saves the day, and Etrigan just kind of swallows it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Etrigan's just kind of there to like, okay, well, I'll clean this up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but yeah, on it. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good point. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. This and the first story a bit, but more so this one, I think, sets a tone, uh, uh, the strong horror tone, which has always been a theme of Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. But um, throughout the run, there's a lot of horror stuff. Sometimes it's it's more pronounced. Sometimes it's a little more science fictiony. Mm-hmm. Um, but this like. As I was reading this, I believe the first time, and I got to this one, I was surprised by like the actual level of like this is like a horror movie mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. Um, so I I was I jumped on board with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, overall, I'm not sure what else. It's good. It is very good. It's good. I like the artwork. Um, sometimes, sometimes I find um, the artists will. I like the artwork overall. I I like the layouts. Um, and that's fairly consistent through most of the whole run. Mm-hmm. Um, there are artist changes here and there, mm-hmm. but I find sometimes the faces they draw on Abby for close-ups look really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, I mean, she's always, you know, attractive or whatever, but sometimes they make her look super trampy. Oh yeah. You had that in your notes too. Yeah. yeah. They did. They, I mean, I don't know, but. Yeah. Which is, you know. Well, he's a comic book, you're going to draw her as a woman, but she's not really that kind of character. Right. Yeah, yeah. I see that. Um, Abby in general is an interesting character through a lot of these. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she's. You know, she's usually a pretty strong character. Mm-hmm. But they do kind of throw her. Not always, but she does get thrown into the victim role a lot. Uh, yeah. The damsel in distress a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but Moore's writing, he usually does pretty well at balancing out, like, like between her and her husband, Matt. She doesn't take any crap off, off of him. So that concludes. We the- just, we were just really swamped. Oh, that was, thank you. Thank you. The, the puns will bring it back. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the puns still set you free. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't know. Um, Did you guys like, it'll be a little bit different on later ones, uh, later installments of Swamp Studies, but did you guys like doing it that way, having kind of the summaries and then talking about it, or... Um, Did that speed it up or slow it down, you think? Well, we went through stuff we'd already done, so that obviously added a lot of time. Yeah. Um, I know I like it because, well, first of all, it helps them rather than just, like, little random comments. It helps the listener mm-hmm. know what we're talking about. Yeah. Especially if we're going to be spoiling it anyway. Um, but we maybe could try to crop it a little bit and make it easy to speak <laughs> rather than, you know, it's well written. You know, you know what I'm saying? Well, that first part, yeah, like, I... I I took some time to write it out and 
not really, I thought about it as a writing and not really as a dialogue. Right. Do we want to wrap it up or do we want to? Let's do Other Dead because it's just one. Yeah. yeah. And that's the last one, right? Good. I'm excited. Yeah. So in episode one, if you want to go back and listen to that, I suggest skipping forward about 30 minutes from the beginning to till we actually start talking about comics. Uh, we talked about the Other Dead issues number one through five. Sorry. The Other Dead issues number one through five of a six issue uh, story. Um, we weren't sure if we were going to burn it or if we were going to uh, uh, promote it because, it, you know, we didn't know. But we decided we enjoyed The Other Dead. Yes, we did. Yes. So, issue six came out since. Um, we all three have read it, and now we're going to talk about it. Uh, what did you guys think of the final issue of The Other Dead? I didn't really care for it that much. I was like... You were upset? <laughs> uh, excuse me, yes, I was... say, it should have gone on forever. <laughs> well, no, not just that, but it's like, you know, they amped it all up, and all this craziness is happening, and then it's like... Okay, well, there's a couple. Things. Uh, Jude, which is the friend of the main character, you know, the, the main, male, the male the family. friend. Yeah. It, like, starts, and he's dead. You, you don't even really get to, you know. Did he get you, impaled oh, on yeah. something, or an, an axe, axe, or like something? Horn. The axe handle, the axe handle went through him, not even the blade. It was the oh. handle sticking out of his chest. I'm like, that's silly. Um, and then, they're running from zombie animals, and they're like, let's go to the safe house on this wildlife preserve. It's like <laughs> the freaking worst place you could possibly go in an animal zombie attack. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't want to deal with... How do they get those animals there? Like, you know, where's this... This is in St... That's the only moment where I'm like, is this still in uh, Louisiana? Because where have they got elephants and rhinos and zebras in, in Louisiana? Yeah, if, they, if they'd if they landed in a zoo or something, that mm-hmm. would make more sense. But it, no, it was, yeah, a wildlife preserve. Don't they usually typically, if they have a wildlife preserve, have animals that are uh, <laughs> local to that area? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there no, there are some... And they're, they're not like, I don't think they're really big like that. Um, places I know in, in America where they have, uh, the only one I know for sure is like elephants and stuff. It's, it's more like a farm though than it really than a preserve, but they have them out in, like in the wild so that, be, because they don't want to send them back to Africa because then they're going to get slaughtered and, you know, all the issues that they have there, which is why they're being endangered in the first place. Mm-hmm. So they're just kind of having them kind of farmed here in certain areas. Not big places either. Like I said, it's like a far- so like, like a farming type thing. Like the animal version of a safety deposit box. <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah, that is it's it's strange that, that they do have something like that here. And then that that they would go there. Yeah. Because then, like I said, you know, they're dealing with, like, birds and, well, I guess alligators, but birds and deer and stuff. Well, now, oh, let's go see the tigers and the rhinos and the, oh. you know... What? Evil animals. I think, though, the issue was, <laughs> didn't the bats, they flew into a bunch of bats and that messed up the helicopter. I think they went down there, though. It's no, like, it, it, it said something about going to the safe house. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, maybe not a great decision then. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. And there was some weird stuff with the where they were running up the stairs and there was a rhino after them. Uh-huh. And it was, like, blowing snot on them. And I'm like... If it's close enough to blow snot on them, it's close enough to spear them with its nose or whatever, you know, his horn. Uh, um, but then, and then after that, like, they went away and it was like, okay, we got away, everything's fine now. 
yeah. kind of a thing. And I'm like, but you didn't, there was really no conclusion for us. It was like, you got on a plane and then it was done. Mm-hmm. So that was. They just kind of all wrapped it, wrapped it all up a little too neatly. Yeah. Except, except then you get the classic horror, is it really over moment. Yeah, where yeah. like a shark or something eats a bird. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. spoiler, sorry. <laughs> We're well, full spoiler. Yeah. Um, Barack Obama. <laughs> so, what did you think, Jesse? I no, I'm kind of in line uh, with what Mel- Melanie said. Uh, I I love. I still love the. I mean, it literally jumps the shark. They literally have a shark <laughs> jumping. Yeah. I lo- that I I love everything about that. But I I did feel like it's like. Okay, we have dramatic leaps of of uh, suspension of disbelief throughout the series, uh, but then I, I, it just felt anticlimactic the way that they just were like eh, it's okay now. Yeah, so we got it handled now. Yeah, I I completely agree. I was actually really disappointed with this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the issue is that like there was very little dialogue. It was all action, which I guess in a movie would be okay. You know, you ramp up to the big final action scene. But in a comic book, with very little dialogue, you tend to read through it really fast. Mm-hmm. So you've yeah. got you've got five issues of kind of a normal pace. You know, they've established kind of the set pace. And then you hit that last issue, and it's just like, boom, 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 it's over. And I mm-hmm. was disappointed. I was like, oh, it yeah. does feel anticlimactic. Yeah. Exactly. I felt like it's it suffered from the uh, the comic book. Oh, what is it? In, basically, an industry standard of six issue run. Just like, oh, we hit issue six, and now we have to wrap it up because we only get six issues. Boom, we're done. Yeah, yeah. And I think analyzing it from the point of view where it was originally intended to be a movie, um, I guess it kind of falls in line with how a B-grade movie would end sometimes. A B-grade horror, it'd just be like, big action scene, and then, oh, they're saved, and they go off, and then you've got the little coda at the end with the uh, the little add-on scene to, mm-hmm. like, is it over, like you guys mm-hmm. said earlier. Um, but it this is not a movie, it's a comic book, and I don't think it worked. Yeah. It just didn't work right. There were some things that I enjoyed, Um they had a speech balloon for the sounds that the rhino would make, and sometimes yeah. it would be like, Rrr? <laughs> I thought that was kind of fun. Um, the animated for a zombie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to trash the whole series because of it. It was still an enjoyable read altogether. Yeah. But it was, yeah. um, and maybe part of the issue was that we talked about the first five issues and hyped it up, and, you know, yeah. uh, and then the last issue came out and we're like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I'm not going to judge it too harshly anyway, because with everything, well, com- comic books, I'm sure too, but movies and books, just everything. The end is always the hardest thing to yeah, come up with. So it seems like, yeah, <clears throat> the end seems like a, uh, it's just in most mediums seems like a hard thing to nail. Yeah. I just, I think it could have just been improved a little bit. If like, I hate to say inject dialogue for just the sake of having dialogue, but the pacing on this issue just, like I said earlier, felt off. Yeah. I think if it had something in there to slow it down a little bit, it would have felt like more... I think the action would have felt better if it could have slowed it down a little bit. It would have had more impact, as opposed to like your eye just gliding over 
the visuals and being done. So as a whole series, I still like it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. But you know, if it were a crappy movie, it would probably have a crappy ending. So it still stays true. Well, that's <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly my point. Yeah, it stays true to what uh, it was trying to be. All right. Or we assume at least it was trying to be. Yeah. I had maybe heard something about it when it first started coming out, but for the most part, I had heard nothing about it except for um, until Jesse had told me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I'd still appreciate that you mentioned it, because otherwise I don't think I would have read it, and it was an enjoyable read overall. I, yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed the whole thing. Uh, not not initially. I, I again, I I started the series with worry uh-huh. because I was like, uh, because I thought the premise is solid. That how can you mess this up? Zombie animals? Yes. Why don't we see this more often? And then I started it, and I'm like, oh no. And then I'm like, oh wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's 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 an expectation thing, and once you're like, yeah. once you understand what they're going for, uh-huh. yeah, it is it is better. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I definitely would recommend it. I would definitely recommend it, especially to the right people. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it does nail that feel. Mm-hmm. And, and in some respects, um, elevates what, like, if you did it as a B-grade movie, I think the comic comes across better than it would actually come across as a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be fun, and it that's obviously what the the feel that the movie's going or the comics going for but i think it works a little better in this medium mm-hmm. yeah plus some of those pages they had like at the end i believe they had like what looked like hundreds of helicopters in the sky <laughs> oh yeah yeah any movie that got funded or if this movie if this had got funded as a movie they would not have a budget to make that look like anything other than c- crap and they wouldn't get a. They wouldn't get Barack Obama. No, no, no. They I wouldn't have even gotten a good facsimile. You know, you'd have that really bad, uh, you know, wannabe factor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and maybe, and that's that reminds me of something that kind of disappointed me about the last issue is, um, Obama's in it, and then they kind of in the fourth or the fifth issue. Kind of make a, a a a duo team of Obama and this redneck type character, and I thought that was a lot of fun. And yeah. in the in this one, there's like no dialogue, so they didn't get to play with that at all. And that was a little disappointing because that was some of the most enjoyable stuff for me. Yeah, they should have had like a moment, real, <laughs> and yeah. that sounds cheesy, but they should have had like a moment of of that begrudging respect, and then they part ways and walk you know, walk back into their respective lives. Yeah. Oh, that would have been perfect. And that would have fallen right in line with the tone of uh, that kind of movie. Yeah. Cause that kind of movie would have that moment. Exactly. It, it, yeah. It would be a, more of a conclusion mm-hmm. for me. So we just changed the ending guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's what happens in our minds. Yeah. Now in yours too. <laughs> if, if you, if you need some dialogue, we'll send you something, um, creators and have your artist, uh, just add a page. Add a page for us. Yeah. Or we'll just overlay some extra balloons. It'll be all right. <laughs> Eastman, it's been a pleasure working with you. <laughs> uh, 
All right, one other thing that I forgot to mention before we hit the poll list. We got to pick next the next poll list. Yeah, yep. We do. Oh. Did you want to vote? <laughs> I didn't vote. You do want to vote real quick? No, because it's not probably going to change anything. Well, maybe not now, but it might later. Oh. Because okay, just to clarify on these on these poll lists, um let's say uh one of us or a listener, and I have it set that you can only vote. I think you can vote once a week, perhaps. But let's say, um, Tank Girl, for example. Say you I'm vo- the only one who wants to read that. Well, say you vote for Tank Girl, and Tank Girl doesn't get picked. Hmm. Your vote doesn't go away. It'll stay on there, so your vote still counts. And the more people that later on vote for tw- Tank Girl, ideally, eventually, will get to it. Um... You're going to vote for that? Yeah. You're going to vote for... Okay. She's going to vote for something else, actually. Okay, there we go. I think... Like, I didn't vote this time, but I think I voted, like, when I first put this up. So I just went ahead and left that there. Okay. Pull list. Pull list. <laughs> <laughs> and the winner I was going to say, hey, we, we need a sound effect here. Mm-hmm. I'll put something in. I'll find a drum roll or something. Spin that wheel! Yeah! It'll be a wheel of fortune or a Price is Right sounding. Mm-hmm. It looks like the winner is uh, Punisher Max. Oh. Yeah. Now, I did some research on the Punisher Max <laughs> just a moment ago. Have you ever read that, Jesse? Uh-uh. Okay. I did some research into that. There was a couple Punisher Max series, so I'm not sure which one. The first one, I think... I think we should read the first volume of the first Punisher Max series, which was written by Garth Ennis. Here. Let's do some research here. Listeners, for your enjoyment, research is where we take information and we (laughs) dig further into it. (laughs) We follow our leads where the logical conclusion will give us more information about the topic that we've decided to investigate. Okay, well, Punisher Max, there was a 2004 series, and then there was, which I believe started off written by Garth Ennis, and I mentioned that name because I believe he's written stuff that you've read and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, he read, he wrote Preacher. Oh, yeah, and I love Amongst Preacher. a bunch of other stuff, too, but Preacher is probably the most recent thing you read. But there is also a more limited series um, that came out in 2010 to 2012. One is titled Punisher Max, and the other one is part of the Max line. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking... How long are they, like, individually? The, the one under them, the one Punisher Max is like 22 issues or so. Um, the other one is, went to, like, 60 plus. Whoa! Um, now I was thinking in, in situations like that, where, um, we'll take Preacher as an example, where that's like 66 issues, if someone, if someone were to suggest Preacher and then that wins the vote, we could just pick the first trade or something and read, like, the first story arc or couple story arcs. Um, as opposed to like being like, all right, this month you have to read 108 issues of Sandman or whatever, you know, which 
you would enjoy it. You've already read that, though. Yeah. But that's just an example. Yeah. Volume one of Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) And zombies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That might be more entertaining. We could do that. I I think it's the one written by Garth Ennis that was on... Well, where's the list? I think I have it. it That would be my vote, because that's got some cred right off the bat. Yeah, exactly. By by a son of a preacher man. In the beginning. Punisher Max, Volume 1, In the Beginning. Oh, as written by Garth Ennis. Okay, yeah, so it'll be the 2004 series. Sorry, I I should have known this beforehand. Well, we can cut it, so we act like we do. Find out more. <laughs> you, you didn't know how the wheel would spin. <laughs> yeah. This is just authenticating it. That's what it is. Okay, yeah. so yeah, we'll be reading. It'll basically be the trade, uh, the the trade paperback volume one of Punisher Max, um, written by Garth Ennis. Um, it'll be pretty much uh, the two thousand four Punisher number one through twelve. Oh, it's just titled The Punisher under the Mac. So that's so confusing. But that's what we're reading. Garth Ennis, Punisher. Volume yes. 1. Which is interesting, because Punisher is a character that kind of, you know, he's kind of a a, a dark, gritty, anti-hero type. But I've never read any Punisher. Mm-hmm. He's been a character I'm kind of interested in. So mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. There's some good Punisher. I've, I've read a handful of them, but he's not one that I tend to buy a lot of. But I read some, like, Punisher Warzone when I was um, really into comics in the 90s, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to check that out. So basically, so I'll take the Punisher off of the uh, list, and, and then... People need to vote. And then we'll start putting the word out to vote for the next, next month. Vote, vote, vote! Mm-hmm. Rock the vote or whatever. That is, of course, assuming we can get a hold of Punisher Max. It should be an easy one to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. I don't. We'll just get. We'll just get him on the phone. We'll get him on. <laughs> we'll call. <laughs> I would just send a letter to my congressman about <laughs> Punisher Max. <laughs> Let's make this happen. Have Punisher Max's people call our people. I was thinking maybe we could just call Garth Ennis and be like, "Remember when you wrote Punisher? Tell us it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us it. <laughs> Tell us words about your work." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Punisher Max is going to be our P O L L poll list for next time. Um, another thing I wanted to mention real quick is. We have an email address set up for specifically so people can send us um, questions and suggestions and messages and stuff. And if you send us stuff, um, we will read it on the air if it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Letters, L-E-T-T-E-R-E-R-S, letters at com is the email address. I struggled a little bit to find a good title for it. Um, but I settled on letters because it reminded me of when comic books had letter pages. So that's the reason I went with letters. Yes. It's a, it's, it's a throwback to snail mail. But, so yeah, letters at grawlixpodcast.com. Uh, send us an email if you have questions or if you just want to put your, your, your two cents in or you want to comment on something we already talked about. Whatever it is. Um. Tell us we rock. Tell us we suck. Whatever. Yeah. 
And if you want, throw a, uh, do us a favor so we know to check it out on, uh, to read it. Uh, you want it read on the air. Um, put like letters pages or letters page in the subject line, something like that. So we know that you want it to be talking, want, want us to address it on the show. Give us some future predictions. Future Ooh, predictions. Yeah. I, oh, I had a heart. I, I failed. Yeah. I failed this week or this, this episode. Um, yes. Give us some future predictions. You can write our future predictions. Oh. How about that? Doesn't that sound great? <laughs> <laughs> you can do our jobs for us. <laughs> do work with words for things that we do. <laughs> oh man. Also watch Community. We started watching Community. That show is great. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. It's our kind of thing. I, I can't believe it's taken like four and a half years for, for us to actually start watching it. Is that the one with, uh, uh, Chevy Chase? Yeah. Yeah, it had Chevy Chase. But yeah, it's really, like, I had kept hearing a lot of things, uh, good things about it. I believe I tried to, I, I watched, tried to watch it once and I just wasn't feeling it. But, um, hmm. Since we got into it, it's really good. And it's one of those TV series, you, even though it's kind of a sitcom, and it, it plays with the sitcom format in a very meta way a lot of times, um, you kind of want to start at the beginning. It's yeah. on, you, you definitely need, want to, because to it's very self, self-referential. As it goes on, it builds on itself and pulls that, references. That was the reason that I, I wanted to watch it in the first place, because I had heard about, you know, a gag that took three seasons to, you know, come to fruition. Yeah, it, okay, yeah, there's wow. an, an example is, um, in season one at one point, just idly somebody's talking and they mention Beetlejuice. In season two, at a different point, somebody's talking and they men- mention Beetlejuice. In season three, randomly, somebody's talking, they mention Beetlejuice, and in the background, Beetlejuice walks by. Yes. It's, so that's a three-year-long gag to get to Beetlejuice walking by when, some, when they say his name three times. Yeah, for the third time. Yeah. That's I was pretty impressed with that. That's, yeah. that's some foresight. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, yeah. But it's a pretty... That's moxie to believe you'll get three seasons. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty good show. It's on Hulu Plus right now. We, we, we were watching it on that. Yeah, thanks, Allison. Yeah, thank you, Allison. <laughs> a shout out for Hulu Plus access. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Grolix Podcast. We've got to get these Grolix snakes off this Grolix plane. Where we're going, we don't need Grolix. Did you see what Grolix just did to us? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Grolix. That was you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Grolix Podcast. Grolix Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vocal Arrow Studios. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. To hear more, visit GrolixPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Grolix Podcast and like us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Grolix Podcast. Get out of here, cat. Get out of here. Get out. Get off of there. He's not moving. He's not. Go away, cat.